Mark chapter 5, 1 through 20. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right. Thanks, fellas. Well, good morning. Good to see you all here this morning. Um, I, uh, I moved this down because I thought we'd be moving up. And uh, again, as I said, it's, uh, we, we just graduated a bunch of people um, last week, and that was exciting. And uh, we got to kind of send some folks, and, and so we're excited that you're here. Um, if you're here from out of town or you're new or anything like that, welcome. It's really, really good to uh, see you. If, if you're from Tucson and you're new, or even if not, I'd love to get to know, know you. So actually afterward, um, normally at the end of the sermon, I would, I would say this, but I always forget, it seems. So I'll be up here afterward. I'd love to get to know you. So if you'll uh, come up and say hi. And um, with that, by way of introduction, um, my name is... Dave, I'm the, uh, I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, I have a stutter, so just want to make sure that you guys know what that is. It kind of comes in and out. It's kind of crazy. I have a speech impediment. I chose to preach for a living. Uh, my older brother has no arms, and he actually plays the guitar for a living, so we have something to prove, I guess, in my family. Um, but uh, anyway, it's really, really good to um, see you here. Um, before we get into it, I'm going to uh, ask if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, go ahead and hold your hand up high, and somebody will get you one. And si necesitas en español, tenemos. So we have some in Spanish as well. So if you prefer the Bible in Spanish, ask for that in some way. I don't quite know how to say español, and they will uh, get you one. But uh, 
anyway, so we have those. Um, if you don't own a Bible, you do now. Okay, keep this one. It's our gift to you. Okay, so we want to make sure everybody has a Bible that they can read and understand and underline things and ask questions and whatnot. So please go ahead and uh, keep that. And um, uh, I'm, we're going to just dive in here soon to Mark chapter 5. As you saw, we have a lot to cover today. And this, um, let me just kind of explain, though, where we've been so we kind of orient ourselves. And then I'll pray for us and we'll get into it, okay? So um, the very beginning of Mark, the author, Mark, makes it abundantly clear what he's doing. He, he makes a bold proclamation. He says, the beginning of the good news that's the word gospel, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the Son of God. It's, 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 it's like an introductory term for like the Caesar or the king coming in, a, a proclamation of authority that, that, that should incite excitement. And then Jesus says, I am the Son of God and I've come to usher in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus makes that known. But, but people throughout Mark don't get it. Right? They don't get who Jesus is. And, they, and, and you see, they're like, okay, you're the king. We expect you to operate a certain way. And then Jesus kind of changes some things in their thinking. And, and they're constantly wondering, how, how, what do we do with you? And, and the author invites us, you and me, and the original audience, to, to answer the question, who is Jesus and what do you do with him? Do you follow him? Is he truly God the Son? Will you follow him? Is he truly bringing in his kingdom? Does that define your life in every way? And then we saw last week that, that, that God starts, starts to reveal or demonstrate the power of Jesus. Okay, He doesn't just tell us. He shows us. That's a theme throughout Mark. And, and he shows us the power of Jesus. And Jesus has authority. And his followers are all in a boat. And they're going across the sea. And they're, and they're traveling, and this big storm kicks up, and Jesus, just the coolest cat ever, is just kind of sitting there, arms back, you know, feet up. And actually, the author even says he's asleep on a cushion. I don't know why he throws that in there, but we know that's kind of authorial information, and that, that, that the author was there and has the authority to kind of say some of the details about this event. And Jesus is there asleep, and his, 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 his followers come up and say, Jesus... Don't you care that we're perishing? And that's a key. It's, it's actually called a hermeneutical key. Okay, For those of us, as you read God's word, you look for these keys. That's an author's um, in, in, intentionally placed statement that connects with the hearts of the audience. And the hearts of the original audience in Rome was under incredible persecution. Because these Roman Christians, these followers of Jesus, were getting burned at the stake, decorating the gardens of Nero, Emperor Nero, who's crazy. He's decorating his garden with burning Christians. And so as they hear about the good news of Jesus that defines all of life, they too are asking that question. Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? And I think you and I though in different contexts, in different circumstances, are asking that same question, whatever we're facing. Jesus, don't you care? do you care? We're, we're questioning the, the authority and the, the character of Jesus. Can you do anything about my circumstances? And if you can, do you really care about it? And so Jesus stands up and authoritatively tells the storm, peace, be still. 
Be quiet. And then he turns to his followers and he said, Still do you not get who I am. Still have you no faith. Still do you not see I am indeed the authoritative king. And then in this story, similarly, what we're going to look at today, we see the same kind of thing happening. There's turmoil, there's chaos going on, this time in one specific person. And it's affecting a whole community, a whole region. And Jesus, again, reveals, he shows, he demonstrates his authority. And he asks that question, do you believe? Still have you no faith? Is your life defined by chaos? Are you looking at the storm and are you saying, Jesus, don't you care? And, and, and he asks that question not to shame you. Not saying, don't you have any faith? You should be ashamed of yourself. That's not what he's doing. He's saying, look to me. Because as we talked about last week, every time you look to Jesus amidst the storm, the circumstance may not change but your perspective always will. So the invitation is to look to Jesus amidst the chaos and to see who he is, to be defined by him. And so what we'll see today through what we just read is that, is that Jesus uses his authority to quiet the chaos. I think we have it in here. To heal the hurting. And then from there, he sends those whom he saves. He has purpose. So he quiets the chaos. Regardless of the circumstance changing, he brings perspective and he calms what is otherwise out of control. And then Jesus uses his authority. He demonstrates his authority to bring healing where there's hurting. And then from there, anyone who has a genuine interaction with Jesus and responds to him and puts their faith in him, he sends. He has purpose. He commissions. Okay, so that's where we'll be today. I'm going to go ahead and pray because I, I, I want to ask God to lead us through our time in his word. Okay, so with that, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that this is your word. You have said that your word is profitable. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It, 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 Lord, it pierces our hearts. It is profitable for teaching and for rebuke and for correction and Lord, I confess alongside everyone here, I know that we all, if it's not ourselves, someone close to us, are going through some kind of a storm. Or if not, perhaps our lives are defined by trying to avoid the storms that will inevitably come at any cost. And so, Lord, whatever the case, we know that you have not called us to a blind faith. You've not called us to what we talked about last week and... Um, an ostrich faith, where we stick our heads in the sand and we try to imagine a better tomorrow, but instead we look to you, Jesus, because you promise a perfect tomorrow. And so, Lord, I, I do pray that as we look at you, as we see your authority demonstrated through your interaction with this man who's possessed by demons in chains and bondage, ripping them apart, just bringing chaos, we pray that you would... Lord, speak to us through your word and see how your authority is still the same today in 2015 and how our lives are called to be shaped and informed constantly by who you are and what you're doing and your kingdom that you're bringing about. Lord, that is good news and I pray that you will reveal it as such to us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's uh, pick up in Mark 5. 
verses, uh, I'll just pick up in verse 1. It'll be up here on the screen or again, read along with me. They came to the other side of the sea, the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately, remember, that's a key word. It's used over 45 times in Mark. So there's a sense of urgency what's happening here. Immediately, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and bruising himself with stones. So there's, there's a storm here. There's chaos, all right? Again, if you can imagine, um, this is like one sermon, okay? Mark 1 through the end of the whole book is like one story is being told. One sermon is being told. So though for us, there were, you know, six days between when we were here to together last but the same thing you just saw Jesus calm the storm and then it says um his followers looked at him and were afraid and they said who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him and then the very next verse right picking up we're now in chapter five you can turn to your neighbor if you've been here all along and you can say welcome to chapter five we're kind of making our way through so welcome to chapter five and then we just pick right up they're at the other side okay the storm happens Jesus calms it And then they show up. They arrive at the other side. And immediately, chaos continues. This guy comes running. And so we just saw Jesus' authority exerted over something on a cosmic level. A storm. Right? Nature. Jesus calms it. And then he arrives, though, in a community that has been defined by chaos. Right, they, 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 These people have tried to bind this person. We don't know, but it seems that his own parents, his own family likely live in that town. These other people probably knew his family, knew his parents. There's a sense of shame, a sense of, of, of hopelessness. This guy is, is naked, uttering just random things, carrying himself. So there's a cosmic authority of Jesus entering into the chaos of a storm. We saw that last week. And then here he enters into a communal, societal chaos of a community as well as a personal torment. This guy's a human being. And it says he's possessed by demons. But, but, but you see that he's a living metaphor, a picture of the effect of sin. I'm not going to go into this too much right now, but I know that for most of us, often, you're at a crossroads with sin, right? You're, you're at a place where you're like, I, I kind of want to do this, and it, it, it might meet my need. It'll be fun. It'll, it'll, be, it'll be pleasurable. It'll numb the pain, whatever it might be. And, and yet what we have here is a picture of the effect of sin, chaos, brokenness. Hurt, pain, suffering on an individual and a societal communal level. You see the effect of sin displayed in this one man here. And so Jesus shows, though, he enters in and he brings calm to the chaos, right? When he tells the man, he says, he says to be quiet. 
He, he, he tells the demon to come out with him. And then you see this interaction where Jesus asks him questions. And then we'll get to the effect at the end. But you see that Jesus comes and there is chaos. And he doesn't shy away from it. He enters in and he brings calm to it. And in an authoritative way that only Jesus, God the Son, can do. And then next we see, we see the power of Jesus as, as he interacts with a man possessed by demons. Okay, so we're, we're going to spend some time talking about that, talking about demons and demon possession and what that looks like. But, but the main point of what you see here is that Jesus' authority is to show how, how powerful he is, but it's also to bring healing to the hurting on individual, communal, societal, global, cosmic levels. You see the authority of Jesus through him entering in here. So pick up with me in verse 6. It says, And when this, this man possessed by demons saw Jesus from afar, he ran, and then he fell down before him, crying out with a loud voice. He said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So let me talk a little bit about this, okay? About demons, demon possession, all right? We spent some time, if you want to hear it, I think in week number three of this series, we spent some time talking about demons and what they are. Let me just kind of summarize with a, a few things, okay? We tend to fall into one of two extremes, okay? One extreme is to get all excited about it, to be like Ouija boards, demons, and there are some churches even in de- denominations that like talk about it a ton, and you see people, and they think everything that went wrong, like you stub your toe, and you're like, that's a demon, I cast out that demon, and it's like, no, you're just clumsy, and you know, and, and, and so, but there's this extreme where you see people just like getting all excited and like focusing on demons, The other extreme, which I suspect probably most of us fall into, is to just kind of brush it off and ignore it. We're in a post-enlightenment, rationalistic way of life. And and here today, it's like, no, we we believe, we trust science. That's something that people say, which you don't even understand what science is if you say, make that statement. But you you say something like, I trust science. And of course, science is important, and, and, and we learn a lot. And there, but 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 um, but but there's still a reality that, that we need to we need to understand, and that and that just because demons don't show up in the way that maybe we see it on cartoons, um, that d- doesn't mean they're not real. Okay, they, they, remember we 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 said this. I, I quoted a man, C.S. Lewis, who said that Satan and his demons' primary objective is not necessarily to scare you, but to impede you. That's a theme throughout Mark. Whether it's demons, whether it's big crowds, whatever it might be, his own followers, his own family, seeking to impede Jesus, to get in the way of the coming of his kingdom, and to impede people properly hearing and responding to his good news. Okay, so, 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 so demons' objective is to impede you. So sometimes, perhaps, it shows up like in this case, right? With You're actually possessed and you're cutting yourself. And let me just say, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've put your faith in him, you cannot be possessed by demons. We don't believe that. I believe that when you put your trust in Jesus, he sends God the Holy Spirit to indwell you. So you are now um, controlled, indwelt, the Holy Spirit himself resides in you. 
So he, he, he won't share that space with other lesser spirits. But you can be oppressed, right? You can be hindered. You can have little quiet whispers of self-doubt and challenging your faith even and challenging your identity and challenging your hope and, and then little subtle influences that, that, that I believe are um, demonic, Okay, so that's kind of all I'll say about that right now. But this is a very real thing, and, and this is a very real historical account that we have here. And, and this man has been tormented, and Jesus displays his authority. Right? This demon comes running at other people. Can you imagine the terror? This guy is broken chains. Like, he's the ultimate man's man, if that's, you know, your definition of a man's man. This demon-possessed guy is naked, he's confident, he's breaking, ripping, you know, metal, steel chains off of himself, running around, charges at Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He stands there, authoritatively. This is the Jesus we're calling you to respond to. This man falls at his feet, and pleads with him. Let me read that again. Because the language, he, he saw Jesus and he came crying out, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? He falls on his face, the ultimate sign of respect and worship. And he proclaims, he rightly says who Jesus is. You are Son of the Most High God. All right now, l- let me say this again is is a reminder to the original audience facing terrible persecution. It's a reminder to you and me today. It's a reminder to Rome, right? Perhaps until this day, the the greatest power ever known in the world, Rome, right? They created like the highway and roads and all these, these things in different forms of politics. The power of Rome. Caesar was seen as the God over the world. And and, and the author here, most importantly, the the divine author, wants the audience, wants you and me to know, no, no, Jesus has ultimate authority. He is God the Son of God Most High. It's not even a contest. right? This demon runs up and he falls at Jesus' feet. And elsewhere we see the the language here that is to remind us of the power of Jesus, right? You see that that Jesus says, who are you, right? He asks, what's your name to this demon? And the demon replies, my name is Legion, for we are many. Perhaps that was his actual name. Perhaps this man was, 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 was possessed by multiple demons. But clearly the main point here is to make a political statement. Right? Not the kind that you and I are used to, but the kind on a global level of, no, 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 um, legions don't scare me. Okay, God's saying, no, Jesus' authority is not scared of legions. This place where this is, it says the town in the Gerasenes, and we'll see later, it's in the Decapolis, which is the ten cities. And, and the main point of that was, this was like a Roman outpost, uh, a kind of a Public display of authority. Okay, that's a different PDA for you. Um, a, a public display of the authority of the Roman ar- army and the, and the goodness of their way of life. So this was ten cities set up to reveal how just how good life under Rome could be. And a, a, a Roman legion was likely over 5,000 soldiers. 
Can you imagine the power, the fear that would, that would instill in somebody? And so Jesus faces this demon-possessed man and says, Who are you? My name is Legion, for we are many. And for these people, that would, a legion? That's terrifying. God, you said your kingdom is here. You said, you said it's good news, but this Roman display of authority and power, legions of, 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 of military strength, and Jesus authoritatively says, get out of here. They fall at his feet. The power of Jesus displayed over even Rome. And then, of course, there's a, a pleading. And it says, will you please do this? Send us into these pigs. And, and, and I don't know the exact reason why Jesus does this, but the effect is the same. I think I know why the author mentions pigs. Okay, we'll get into that here in a second. But, 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 but so Jesus cast these demons into these pigs like tons and tons of pigs, and they run into the oceans. And again, that is an imagery that, that the people of that day saw the seas and the oceans as, as very scary places where, where, the, where the monsters lived. And so you see Jesus authoritatively sending these demons to, to destruction and into the place where, where, where those who deserve destruction need to go. Okay, so Jesus sends these demons in there and some of the language is used. I just want to um, want us to understand here that, that the scope of Jesus' ministry is important. Okay? He just revealed the expanse of his authority, right? The whole world. Rome, even Rome, the imagery is clear there. Even Rome came running at Jesus and he authoritatively stands there falling on his face. This man possessed by a legion of demons is just dealt with with, with a dismant missile. Get out of here. Go into the seas. Go be destroyed. I, I'm just going to say this, all right, that Jesus' authority, he doesn't share it. All right, you, you, some of you have seen those bumper stickers coexist, or you've heard of different languages, or, oh, I think there are different gods, you know, or maybe one god with different names, and it's all the same thing. Now, now the, uh, the heart, if the heart behind that coexist sticker, do you, you guys know what that is? You know what I mean? You, you, you've seen it around. Um, yeah, we should be loving toward our neighbor, toward other people. There shouldn't be a hostility and an anger and an aggression toward others who believe different things in us. Absolutely, we believe that. The Bible affirms that. However, the subtle message that is often attached to that that, that seeks to bring down the authoritative rule of Jesus and to say, ah, it's all the same. Jesus doesn't really care what you call him. He doesn't really care what name you give him. He doesn't really care. Just, you know, you just kind of paint this kind of wamby-pamby picture of God. No, you see the authority of Jesus. He doesn't share his throne. And he's, the expanse of his authority is great, is global, is cosmic. And then you see another important thing for us to see is the scope of his authority. Because again, some of the language here was used. It's full of unclean language. Where do they show up? The tombs. Okay, a, a good Jewish audience would be like, the tombs, you don't go there because a Jewish person, if you even went near the tombs, if you touched a dead body, you were ceremonially unclean for at least seven days. You don't go there. You don't go to the tombs. 
But again, you see the, not only the authority, but the character, the compassion of Jesus. He, he goes to the unclean places because this man is in torment. He's wreaking havoc on himself, on his society. And so Jesus goes there to this unclean place. He's, he's, he's creating some unrest in the original audience. Okay, think you and me right now, guys. Where do we not want to go? Where are the, the gross, dirty places of society that we're like, we don't go there. That's not a very Christian place to go. Surely Jesus wouldn't want to be there. Well, what will you see he does? He goes to the unclean places. Not only is Rome authoritative and powerful, but it's dirty. Those dirty Romans, those dirty Gentiles, they, they worship other gods. They're, they eat pork. Again, the mention of pigs. Jewish society would never be hurting pigs. So they're clearly in a completely un-Jewish, a godless place. The Decapolis, the place where, where, where the people who would be excited that the kingdom of God is finally coming would think, great, we can come and bring destruction to that place. But no, 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 Jesus is showing that the authority and the scope of his kingdom is to bring healing to those places. Yes, he asserts his authority over them, but he also shows his care and his compassion. So he enters into this brokenness, this Roman place, this unclean place full of unclean people. And what you and I need to recognize, what the original readers here would need to recognize, is that Jesus is not deterred. He's not impaired by anything. He's not impaired by this demon-possessed man who comes to trip him up. He's not impaired by the crowds who want to control him and make him do all his tricks according to their desires. And he's not impaired by the religious elite who think they can determine where his kingdom will and will not go. No, he shows at the expanse of his care that the good news that he has come to bring in his kingdom, to make new what has been broken, to bring healing where there is hurting, to bring reconciliation where there is brokenness. No, the authority of Jesus is to go to even the unclean places. And then you and I get to see that displayed in this one man. At the end there, you see, okay, jump all the way down with me where it says that the man was now in his right mind, clothed. Okay, I'm down in verse 15. So the people come running and they see Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had, had the legion, demons. He's sitting there, clothed, in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they described what had happened to the man. So what a picture, again. You see the picture of sin, right? Chaos, destruction, cutting, brokenness, hurting on an individual and a communal, a societal level. And then you see that contrasted with this man now. He's clothed. He's in his right mind. What a picture. Let me also just remind us, he likely still bears the scars. Okay, though Jesus heals, though he takes care of sin, he takes care of brokenness, we still often bear those scars. But now... Not as a reminder of shame, but as a reminder of the power and the good character of Jesus. And yet, it says that the people begged him to leave them. 
Those who had seen it, they described it to him. And then it says that um, they began, in verse 17, they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Listen to me, that invitation to look at Jesus, when I said, who is Jesus and how do you respond to him? So often we have a wrong view of Jesus, a tolerable, a palatable perspective of Jesus, right? We've said that sometimes we think, I'm going to come to church and get a little Jesus sprinkled onto my life and I can continue to be the authoritative rule of my life. But the clear message is, no, 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 Jesus doesn't share his throne. He's authoritative. Yes, he's good, but he is authoritative. And sometimes the tragic reality is that the authority, the sovereignty of God is so unsettling that it overshadows even the goodness of God. These people just had an eyewitness experience of the healing power of the authority of Jesus. And yet it scared them. And they're like, Jesus, I don't know that I want that Jesus. I don't want the real Jesus. I want the one that fits on a wristband or a bumper sticker or a t-shirt. I want the example Jesus. I want the Sunday Jesus. I want the churchy Jesus. I want the political Jesus. Whatever version of Jesus that we create for ourselves. And he says, no, 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 no. There is one true Jesus, the Son of God, the King of all. Have you ever experienced that in your own life? Do you know anyone where you've tragically seen the authority of Jesus be enough to scare them away from the healing power and work of Jesus? Sadly, a guy came to mind as I, as I re- read this. We um, knew a guy named Les. He was a homeless man. And um, we're sort of hippies, if you didn't know that, in my, my, my family. We live, we have a big family, and we have some other people that live we'll, we'll, with us. And so we lived in a, in a place, and we had a truck outside, and this homeless guy came by, and we let this guy sleep in our truck, in the back of the truck. And so he would get a sleeping bag, and he would sleep in the back of the truck. And um, for, like, months and months, this went on. And eventually he said that he indicated that he, he put his faith in Jesus and he asked us in, he asked us to help him. And so we started to, to come alongside him and to enter in, but he had, he had terrible alcoholism and some other things that were just binding his life and he didn't want to let those things go. And so long story short, one day he said, guys, whatever it takes, enter in, help me. And so we took him to a place where he would go to rehab and we drove him to Sacramento. We lived about an hour and a half north of there. And we drove him to Sacramento. We dropped him off at this place and we, and we prayed with him and we were so excited for him. And we said, Les, you know now that, that you've asked us to help you. So we're not just going to keep the door open for you to come and sleep in the truck here. We're not going to enable you in this. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I know. That's great. That's exactly what I need. And sadly, tragically, a couple days later, Les called and was like, guys, and he had all these excuses, and I'm, I'm out. And sure enough, he hopped the train. He asked us to send him uh, money, and we said, no, we won't. And he, he showed up at our door again. He had, he had gotten some money, and he showed up. He hopped the train, and he was, he was drunk again. And, and he said, hey, guys, well, can I just sleep in the truck? And we had to say no. And, and, and then on Christmas Eve, the rain was pouring down, and he came by again, and, and we had a conversation. And I could tell you more of the story. Long story short, again, um, Thankfully, we got a note from Les, actually from jail, thanking us for drawing hard boundaries with him. But the reality was what we had to witness and what so many of us have had to witness in our own lives and the lives of our loved ones 
is that sometimes the authority of Jesus is so offensive, is so uncomfortable, that we ask him to just go away. And, and the hard work I have to do as your pastor is to remind you there aren't multiple versions of Jesus. He is good. He loves you. He demonstrates his love for you. On the cross, he laid his life down for you. He loves you too much to just enable you to fit him into a nice pretty picture in your life. And yet these townspeople tragically asked him to go away. And then this man, you see, he begged him. He said, Jesus, let me go with you. I want to I go with you. He had seen, he rightly understood, he rightly gave his whole life to Jesus and says, I want to come with you. And Jesus says, no. And you see here that Jesus' purpose is again to send those whom he saves. Again, this is a reminder to you and me, to the audience, that Jesus didn't just happen upon this unclean place full of Roman Gentiles who eat pork and all these things, and he didn't go and pluck one guy out of the filth and then say, okay, yeah, sure enough, come along with me. We'll go to, we'll go to the good people. No, he says, stay there. Tell your family. He says, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And then the man went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, in that whole area, how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. What kind of work has Jesus done in your life? Hear me, if you've rightly trusted Jesus, if you've put your faith in him, he loves you too much to just let you be complacent in that. No, he sends those whom he rescues. If you have scars like this man, those are a display of the goodness of God. He's rescued you from whatever or wherever those scars came from. He has purpose in everything he does. He rightly knew that this man would probably impede his ministry as he went back to Jewish towns this man would probably bring some confusion. And yet you see also on a greater, on a cosmic level, he has plans for this guy. He's, you, you may have heard that Paul, the, the Apostle Paul, refers to himself as the Apostle to the Gentiles. Well, he actually hijacked this guy's title. Okay, this guy is the first sent one to the Gentiles. Jesus sends this guy to go back to his, his Roman ruled cities as a demonstration of the good character and the authority of God. So as we close, I want to read something, a quote here in a, in a second. But before I do, um, let, me, let me say to you that um, we talk a lot here about the kingdom of God, right? The, the main message of this book, we can't, it says it, God's, God's word. It says the beginning of the good news of the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. If you're new, we say something at this church often that is all of life is all for Jesus. So as Jared even said at the beginning, we take very seriously culture. Simply put, what that means is we take very seriously how we engage every fabric of our lives. Sorry, isn't that a commercial? Um, the fabric of our lives. Well, every piece of our lives, every moment of our lives, God cares about. So we take very seriously how we engage. In fact, God himself 
has, has given the church so that the way we live and the way we interact would be the way through which His kingdom would come. Making new what has been broken. Bringing the light of the kingdom of God into the broken kingdom of this world. Okay, so we take that very seriously. But let me say this. It is not less than the individual brokenness of human beings and God entering in and healing and reconciling lost people to himself through faith in Jesus. It is not less than one tormented individual like this demon-possessed man. It's the only person that Jesus saved in this whole trip. Okay, God cares enough about you. He radically loves you that he sent his son to demonstrate that love, that while you're yet a sinner, while you're yet an enemy of God, Christ died for you. And yet, it's not less than that, it's more than that. God has chosen to, to, to bring about the universal reality of his rule and reign through individuals. So at this church, we've talked about there's a, there's a, a tendency to get on a pendulum and some versions of Christianity want to be over here and be like, it's just about me and Jesus and my journal and my cup of craft coffee and my pen and my, you know, moleskin and just me and Jesus and we journal and that's all Christianity is about. Or on the other extreme, you have, you know, social justice and this is all we care about. We don't talk about individual sin and individually offending a holy God and needing to individually be reconciled to him through faith in Jesus by his death on the cross. Well, the gospel is both. You see that God brings his glorious kingdom through reconciling lost individuals to himself. And so in a, in a last quote that I want to read to us, we get a reminder of God's love for us and his plan to bring about his kingdom. Let's re- read, this, read this quote with me from a man author named N.T. Wright. He says this, At the climax of Mark's story, Jesus himself will end up naked, isolated, outside the town among the tombs, shouting incomprehensible things as he is torn apart on the cross by the standard Roman torture, his flesh torn to ribbons by the small stones in the Roman lash. And that, Mark is saying, will be how the demons are dealt with. That is how healing takes place. Jesus is coming to share the plight of the people, to let the enemy do its worst to him, to take the full force of evil on himself and let others go go free. It, it, It has been said that the shadow of the cross is cast over the entire gospel according to Mark. The the big theological term for this is cruciformity. What this means is that the way the authoritative king wins the battle is through the cross. So as I said, we have a reminder day in and day out that on a universal level, on a cosmic level, on a societal level, and on an individual level, we look to the cross and we see both the power and the good character of God. Who, though we're yet sinners, he demonstrates his love for you, that he died for you. So now as we prepare to respond, we look to Jesus. 
We, we rejoice and we sing and we pray in light of the good news that Jesus has come to quiet the chaos. And all that that brings to mind for you and me. He comes to heal the hurting and all that that brings to mind for you and me and to our lives, to our society, to our world. And then from there, with purpose, He sends those whom He saves. Let us pray and respond to this glorious, authoritative Jesus. Lord, we do love You. We thank You. We respond now to You um, in light of who You are. God, I, I pray that as we respond right now, as we, as we sing, as we consider, I pray that, that you are reminding us of the false versions of Jesus that we have created in our lives, in our world, perhaps even in our churches. Lord, would you save us from worshiping any other version than the true, authoritative God, the Son, Son of God Most High, Lord, would you define our lives? Lord, would you constantly, day in and day out, point us, direct us to the cross where we see your authority and your power and your love? Lord, thank you for defining our lives. We repent of ways that we have turned away from you and looked away from you. For some here today, perhaps for the first time, repenting and turning to you in faith. And Lord, for others, perhaps a constant reminder Lord, that we have chosen life apart from you, but by your grace you've rescued us. Lord, may you define us in all that you are and all that you're doing, all that you have done. Lord, we surrender to you and we pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.